Welcome to the Primal Pioneer, a no-nonsense podcast teaching you how to rewild your life and heal your body using nature's medicine kit. I'm your host, Heather Shepard, classical homeopath, author of The Sunlight Rx, and alternative healer. For the past decade, I've been helping people overcome acute and chronic health disorders and brain injuries using a 100% natural approach. Enjoy this episode and subscribe to this podcast to stay informed about your body, your health, and how to lead the healthiest life possible, even amidst our crazy modern world. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today I'm going to talk all about ancestral diets. What is it? What does an ancestral diet mean? What's the value or importance when it comes to our health to eating an ancestral diet? You may have heard of these kind of diets because today they have gained a lot of popularity. There's many versions of ancestral diets. We have the paleo world. We have the ketogenic world. We have carnivore diets. So we have a lot of versions today that are kind of fall fall under this blanket term of ancestral diets however we leave a huge part out of what makes an ancestral diet truly ancestral every single diet community today is really missing the bulk the heart the soul of what makes an ancestral diet truly ancestral and so I'm going to talk about that today because when we can bridge this gap we'll see really big progress, huge breakthroughs when it comes to our health. So for pretty much going on 20 years now, I've been helping people support their health using diet. It's always been a huge part of my practice. And over the first 10 years of my practice, people had really good results with this approach, encouraging an ancestral diet, teaching people how to eat an ancestral diet. And this approach focused mostly on the core components of diet that, you know, people in the ancestral world focus on today, meaning the linear aspects, the linear characteristics of food, how much fat, protein, carbohydrates to eat, what kind of food to eat, you know, should it be organic, grass-fed, wild-caught, etc., you know, really focusing on these more so linear aspects, these material aspects of our food and food choices. And so for the first 10 years, that was how I practiced um, the dietary component of, of my practice. And so the second decade of my practice, however, has proved to be much, much more successful, meaning people are making greater gains with their health because I have shifted from focusing on an ancestral diet and and just solely these linear qualities of food. You know, make sure you eat grass-fed, make sure you eat wild-caught, make sure you eat healthy fats, right? All of these components that make up an ancestral diet. And so those are important qualities and characteristics that we absolutely have to take into consideration. However, after uh, my TBI, I realized that this, this huge realization came in that we are missing 
the core essence of an ancestral diet, which is sunlight. And I'll talk about that throughout this episode because it's not just about doing the Sunlight RX. There's a a whole lot more to it when it comes to making our dietary decisions based off of sunlight. And so this shift that I saw in my practice from people getting a little bit better in the first decade to people getting exponentially better the second decade of my practice, there are two things that I shifted that I attribute these gains to. One is my homeopathic practice, but two is this element of sunlight that I brought into um, my practice. And sunlight, not only in the form of the Sunlight RX, but teaching people how to base their dietary decisions off of sunlight availability. And so this is where we have the biggest room for growth in the ancestral diet communities because this component of our diet, sunlight, you know, it grows our food. It's how our animals are able to eat the food that that they eat, the food, the grass grows, the animals eat it, right? We need sunlight in order to, ha- to make all of this uh, food be an actual reality, whether it's the animals you're eating or the vegetables you're eating or the fruits you're eating. All of our foods require sunlight in order to grow. And I think this has been such an obvious force of nature that grows our food, that produces our food, that makes everything possible, that we've almost completely forgotten the importance of it and how to um, make the connections between diet, sunlight, and our health and our diet choices. It's just been such an obvious one that we've almost forgotten how to to make these decisions. And As I mentioned today, every single ancestral diet out there, the keto world, the paleo world, we can say the GAPS world, the carnivore world, world, and other diets of the ancestral, you know, diet lineage, so to speak, focus on specific foods that our ancient ancestors ate. So if you're someone who's tuning into this and you're like, yeah, but Heather, what, what are some of those foods? You know, I'm new to this. So... Some of the foods our our ancient ancestors ate were, I think of the foods that were available before industrialization, before grocery stores came in and and we could ship things from, you know, from different countries, from different parts of the states, from different locations. We could ship them from literally thousands of miles away and they would be in our grocery stores, right? So think of the foods that existed before all of that was possible. And this is going to vary depending on geographical location, which makes an ancestral diet so unique. An ancestral diet for somebody living, say, in New York is going to look really different than an ancestral diet from somebody living in Florida or Mexico or Africa, right? An ancestral diet really needs to vary depending on your geographical location because the strength of the sun in that location is going to have a direct effect on what's able to grow in your area. And as I'll get into during this episode, when we eat foods that are grown outside of our region in sunlight that actually isn't available to us, it's one of the biggest sources of inflammation in the body today. 
and most people have yet to make this this connection but it's a huge connection once we can make it that will really help to support our health so some ancestral foods are you know think of things like wild game or wild caught seafood or grass-fed meats wild fruits and fruits that you can grow in your area depending on the time of year and vegetables etc right so the list is varied and it really is varied according to the sunlight availability in your area and uh, you know what can grow outside your door if you can't grow if it's it's january in your area you know and you live in upstate new york there's no way possible you're going to be able to grow bananas watermelon mangoes or pineapple and so the grocery store, however, these foods, you'll go in there and they'll be on the shelves and you'll think, oh yeah, awesome, I love bananas and pineapples and we can get these foods any time of year. And while this has made foods convenient and you know brought some diversity to our diet, right, we can look at both sides of the coin, but really when it comes to your health, eating certain foods, when they're not growing outside of your door, is a, is a huge contributing factor to inflammation. And we know inflammation drives literally every single chronic disease today. So by learning how to align your dietary choices with sunlight, it's a huge game changer when it comes to supporting health, supporting healing, reducing inflammation in the body. So... Um, you know, today our ancestral diet communities, we really focus on the nutrients, extrapolating the nutrients from the foods, the proteins, the fats. And then, you know, a lot of people follow these diets and they have some improvement with their health, but often not the improvement that they want. And sometimes people even get worse. I can't tell you how many people that I know that have come into my practice who say, I've tried a ketogenic diet because I wanted to help with, you know, prevent cancer or rectify cancer. I wanted to help with weight loss and I felt worse. And so we compare ourselves to how one person or the next does on a diet and then when we try the diet and don't have success with it we really beat ourselves up right we really compare ourselves a lot and um, this just simply isn't a helpful practice one because everybody's body is so unique and different but also we all live in different geographical locations meaning we all should be eating very different diets and When we can make this shift from basing our dietary decisions solely on a nutrient profile, fats, carbs, proteins, antioxidant content, you know, etc. And make our dietary decisions based on, hey, what's growing outside my door? There's going to be a really big room for success and advancement in, in your healing. So, um... I want to talk a little bit about also about a ketogenic diet because I want to give you an example as to this diet that is considered an ancestral diet in many communities and in many the eyes of many people today. How this actually isn't an ancestral diet and what we need to reconsider when it comes to um, you know labeling something as a truly ancestral diet. So. 
I'm bringing keto in also because it's become a very popular diet. Many people are looking to it because they want to lose weight, they want to gain energy, they want to heal cancer, they want to heal diabetes. And so this diet has gained serious popularity over the past five to 10 years. A lot of people turn to this diet to help improve their health and some of these conditions. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with a ketogenic diet, this is a diet that severely restricts carbohydrates, okay? Sugars, grains, um, starchy foods, any carbohydrates, there's severe restriction on, on carbohydrates. There's a moderate emphasis on protein, and the bulk of the emphasis on a ketogenic diet is fat. So a ketogenic diet or a keto diet has become a diet that we refer to as an ancestral diet because it contains foods, namely animal proteins, or excuse me, namely animal fats and other fats that our ancient ancestors were known to eat. You know, butter, lard, tallows, these sort of things. And you know, in this way, they have some similarities to uh, the diet that our ancient ancestors ate because they always made sure that there was fat in their diet and the fat came from the animals on their land or the fat came from seal blubber or the foods that they harvested from the ocean. But if we really think about a ketogenic diet, a few red flags really need to be raised when it comes to, hey, is this really an ancestral diet? Because our ancient ancestors didn't primarily focus on fat as the main uh, aspect of their food, they really focused more so on animal protein. Animal protein was always their main goal. And so um, there's, there's some real misunderstanding in the ketogenic diet community because, you know, we've been taught that protein is bad and it spikes insulin levels and it spikes, spikes blood sugar levels. And so we avoid it because we focus on this linear goal of being in nutritional ketosis. And, you know, this actually, in my experience, is not a marker of health, whether you can get in, whether you, you can achieve nutritional ketosis or not. So, um, but there's been a lot of emphasis placed on that. And so now what people do is they completely forget about what kind of like aspects of their diet they're eating, what kind of foods they're eating, and they'll just focus on nutritional ketosis. And so they'll just focus on eating a whole bunch of fat while while restricting protein and, and severely restricting carbohydrates. And this is really not a healthy way to approach our food or to approach eating. And it's, all, and it's also not truly an ancestral diet. Our ancient ancestors didn't just sit around and eat gobs of butter and coconut oil and just, you know, make drinks that are half coconut oil, with half cups of coconut oil. Not at all. This was not their, their approach to the diet. They really focused on animal protein and they focused on what was seasonal because they had no other choice. This was an out-of-choice decision that they made because they couldn't go to the grocery store and they didn't restrict carbohydrates if the carbohydrates were available out there outside their door so they ate carbohydrates in the form of fruits of raw honey of maple syrup and this these choices their carbohydrate choices varied depending on their location it varied depending on the time of year um 
And it varied depending on when these foods were actually provided by nature. Were there berries on the bush? Then they ate them. Was there honey in the, the honeycomb? Then they, they ate that, right? Did the trees produce maple syrup? Then, you know, they turned that sap, maple sap, they turned it into maple syrup. And so, you know, all of their dietary decisions were based on nature, and this is is primarily true when it came to their fruit and vegetable choices. So this is something that really truly makes an ancestral diet an ancestral one when we base our food choices um, off of what nature provides us outside our door. And if you're sitting there thinking, hmm, I have no idea what's growing right now outside my door. You're not alone. Many people think that. Many people ask me that when I do diet work with them. They're like, "Well, how do I actually know?" And there's a lot there are a lot of ways you can you can figure out what's growing outside of your door if you don't have a green thumb or you don't have time to put in a garden yet. You know, and I talk about this in the ancestral diet and lifestyle plan, which is now up on my site, you can go to the courses tab and just scroll down to the, uh, click on the ancestral diet plan and you can get your copy. But I talk about this in the, in the diet plan, but one like foolproof way to know what's growing outside of your door, if you don't have time to grow a garden, if you haven't yet done that, go to your farmer's market, shop at your farmer's market, see what's on their tables. That's what's growing outside of your door right now. And those are likely going to be really uh, helpful guides when it comes to making your diet decisions. So why do we even care about this? You know, like what's the big deal? An ancestral diet, everybody's promoting it. Um, it's become something that we've returned to right after years and years and years of being lied to about dietary fat and cholesterol and low fat, right? We were lied to for, you know, decades and still even medical doctors and some alternative practitioners still believe in this BS behind, you know, low fat, low cholesterol. If your cholesterol is high, it's dangerous and it'll lead to heart disease, which it won't. You know, we're all, we're all told these things still in some way, shape or form. But the good news is over the past decade, especially many people have said, that is a total line of, you know, BS. And we can see that people eating low-fat diets, vegetarian diets, vegan diets, low-cholesterol diets, their health is not good. Their health is poor. Um, these are, are really bad decisions when it comes to our metabolic and hormone health. To restrict fat, to restrict animal protein it has nothing to do with heart disease or cancer. And so we've all made this um, ancestral foods comeback. I shouldn't say we all. Many people are starting to make this ancestral foods comeback, meaning the foods that have nourished the human body literally for generations and generations and generations are making a comeback. The grass-fed fats, you know, we're no longer saying, oh, yeah, I don't want to eat that fat off of my ribeye. Now we're like, oh, my gosh, I want the fat and the meat and put the butter on it and the sourdough and put the the butter on the sourdough bread, right? We're, we're not really um, 
afraid of these fats and, and animal proteins anymore, which we shouldn't be. The only reason people are have been afraid of them is because they scared us out of our ancestral dietary instincts that focused on those foods naturally into, you know, replacing grass-fed butter with margarine and Crisco and um, soy and God knows what else. And, you know, <clears throat> as a result, it only made our health worse. And this was a very unnatural way of eating. Today, we're still having, you know, uh, people influencing us to go be meat-free and, and eat a meat-free diet. And it's totally ridiculous that, that grass-fed meats cause and contribute to uh, global warming. It's actually the exact opposite. And there's been a lot of documentation and work on this. Um, there's been a lot, and you can you can look this up yourself. You know, seek out regenerate regenerative farming practices, regenerative regenerative farmers. <laughs> seek out um, the work of, gosh, what's his name? I think it's Alan Alan Savory. If you put that in and put Alan Savory TED Talk, global warming or beef, it'll come up. Amazing, amazing work that not a lot of people are doing today showing the benefits that this cattle um, and other ruminants have on restoring um, the ecology of the uh, uh, soil, restoring the the way that the minerals show up in the soil just by having uh, cows walk the land, graze the land. Uh, it's remarkable. It's absolutely astounding putting the, the cattle in, in these arid environments that look like there's no life ever to be returned on these areas and having the cattle graze that land, walk that grand land, break up the soil so that even if it only rains, you know, a little bit in your area, like the desert, that when the rain does fall, the soil is broken up and the rain can penetrate into the soil and help to uh, uh, regenerate the earth, plant, regenerate the plant life. Watch his work, his TED Talks, absolutely game-changing. Anybody out there telling you that eating meat is destroying the earth and is a cause of global warming has some other agenda going that they want you to follow so that, you know, you can be sicker, just like they wanted us to do when they told us to eat low-fat, low-cholesterol, fat-free. You know, they wanted us to do that. They wanted us to get on statin drugs, low blood pressure medication. They wanted us to do all of that for their own benefit. They're still doing it today in a different form. Instead of calling it heart disease, they're calling it global warming. So it's a total red flag. It's something that we all have to be aware of because, you know, this meat-free global warming agenda is being crammed down our throats and it has nothing to do with health. There's no accuracy to it. If you really want to question, okay, what is a healthy diet? Think about the ancient ancestors that lived before industrial farming, before, you know, shipping and grocery stores could carry anything from anywhere. These people ate what was local to the region that primarily consisted of grass-fed animal fats, wild-caught protein, wild-caught fats, the local uh, fruits and vegetables to their area, 
nobody had a chronic disease. It's literally the best study on the planet. It's, it's, it's like there's no better study. The, all we have to do is look at the, the chronic disease rates before we started um, adding processed packaged foods, adding out-of-season foods, you know, going low-fat, going low-cholesterol. It's night. It's it's literally night and day, and we all see it. You think about, you know, we all had, at least, you know, still in my generation, we can think of, my like my great grandmother lived to be a hundred and grew up on a farm and ate raw milk and drank raw milk and fought over the cream on the top with her brother and, you know, would go outside and chop wood and you know this whole ancestral image lifestyle that is almost completely vanished today, starting to make a bit of a comeback. But the foods that they ate, the lifestyles they lived, there was no chronic disease. It literally didn't exist until we added in all this other nonsense. So um, it's the best study <laughs> that we we have available to us. If somebody had something wrong with with them in a chronic way, it was more of an anomaly. And so we really need to, I want to pay attention to this and bring some attention to this for a little bit because um, one of the most common questions I get asked is around, well, you know, what about these, uh, you know, Uh, what about our ancient ancestors? They didn't actually live that long. Like, they didn't live as long as we're we're living today, right? So I want to take a look at this question because it's an important question and because it's one sometimes people are like, our ancient ancestors, yeah, they lived till 30 or 40. Why would I do anything like them? Let's look at why they only lived till 30 or 40. Okay, they lived to about, you know, 30, 40, maybe 50. Some people, hey, some people 70, 80. This was this could happen, right? This wasn't it wasn't always the case that they died young, but more people did then. So why? What 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 happened? Well, there there are a few things here. So right now we don't really get really severe, significant, acute conditions, okay? You know, yeah, there was a virus that was planted that some people got, have fevers from and, and you know, whatnot over the past couple of years. But for the most part, people don't get significant chronic issues anymore, or excuse me, acute issues anymore, meaning they don't get high fever, Who gets a high fever anymore of 103? Just crickets, right? It's like, who who gets a high fever of 103? Not that many people. So our ancient ancestors didn't get chronic disease. They got acute conditions. They got acute infectious disease. Today, we don't get acute infectious issues, conditions. We can't get a high fever, but we have chronic disease. So what, what happened here? Where's the shift? So we have to look at a, a few things. One, we have to look at the invention of antibiotics and when antibiotics were introduced. And what tags along with that is every single other prescription medication from vaccines to uh, uh, other prescription meds, right? So once we started to add antibiotics and prescription medicine into the scene, 
well, we didn't really get acute conditions anymore. They started to taper off. High fevers started to become not that common. So that's that's number one. That's one thing that's taken us from mm, no more acutes, now we get chronics. I talk a lot about this in the podcast. So if you want to, you know, deep dive into that, listen to some of the other episodes. And I'll, of course, continue to talk about this in the future as well. But also number two, what happened is, and this shift happened, you know, a little bit before World War II and, uh, but... World War One, these shifts started to happen where we went from our homestead or outdoor life to more of an indoor life. More jobs were created indoors. We went from living outside and being in sunlight and spending more time outside to living an indoor life. You know, the light, the light bulb was invented, so now we could stay up uh, later at night and we had exposure to artificial light. And so basically our environment became more artificial, And what that meant is we were getting less sunlight and we were spending more time indoors. So that's number two. That took us from um, uh, more towards less acutes, more chronic diseases as well. And then number three, as I mentioned, grocery stores and shipping, the ability to sell uh, out of region foods, you know, up to thousands, thousands, thousands miles away. Um, you know, you can have a banana in Portland, Oregon in uh, December. God knows you can never grow a banana ever in Portland, Oregon, let alone December. But we had these options. So the uh, we had these changes. And these three changes are some of the biggest changes that has influenced our health going from Okay, we get less acutes. We're not really dying from infectious disease anymore, but now we're we're dying from we're living longer, but we have chronic conditions. We're di- dying from chronic diseases. So, these are some things we have to take into consideration, and I, I want to get into this a little bit because understanding this is can be really helpful to. Uh, when it comes to your healing, when it comes to making your diet choices, when it comes to making your health choices. So number one, eating an ancestral diet has proven for generations and generations to prevent chronic disease. This study is just the people who lived before the invention of industrial foods and indoor uh, jobs, and nobody had a chronic disease then. So the the proof's in the pudding. Um, nobody had a chronic disease then. But as I mentioned, the diet extends beyond food, and we have to consider seasonal variation, and uh, we have to consider these other elements when it comes to supporting our health, when it comes to making our dietary decisions. Um, and so it, it just kind of going back here to, okay, we live longer today, but our, we're in a much more compromised state. Our health is in a much more compromised state, right? We don't have as much energy. We have all these nagging things that people are disrupted by today. Their life's disrupted by their energy levels, by their hip pain, by their joint pain, by uh, the side effects from the medications they're on. And so we're living longer, but what at what cost? You know, at what cost are we are we living longer? But also we didn't understand or have the resources to treat 
acute infectious conditions back in the day uh, in an effective way. Today, what is that? It's antibiotics. People use antibiotics. I will say, in my experience, this is not a, an effective way to, to treat or approach acute infectious conditions. It suppresses the immune system. It totally prevents the body from being able to get high fever, which is one of the main response mechanisms of the immune system. If there's something in the body that it needs to get rid of, it'll create high fever. Certain pathogens can't exist at a temperature above 102 Fahrenheit. So the body ingeniously will raise the temperature in order to eradicate the pathogen. But people no longer can do that today. They can't do that today because of the vaccinations, because of the antibiotics. So what is the result? If you can't fight off these pathogens, your immune system weakens and you go into a chronic disease state. So the fact that people can't get acute anymore high fever, okay, they go into a chronic disease state because their immune system isn't strong enough to elicit a reaction to help rectify the acute condition. Now, I'm not saying that you, it's not appropriate to call on antibiotics or a prescription medication when there's this dire need to do so, but we've been trained to think high fever, bad, dangerous, Call 911, all hell's going to break loose. You know, what do I do? Panic mode. It's like, okay, how can we approach this in a way that actually um, is helpful to the body? Encourages the fever, right? But how can we treat the condition without suppressing the immune system? And when we can do this, will prevent chronic disease. This is a main way to prevent chronic disease. Think of all the antibiotics you've had in your life, all the, all the prescription medications, uh, um, all the vaccinations. It's just suppress, suppress, suppress. And that's not to be like a downer. You can bring your immune system out of suppression. But what I'm saying is that our ancient ancestors, most people, didn't have access to medicines that allowed the body to... Uh, treat infectious disease without suppressing and that is of course you know what I'm going to say I love about homeopathy I've treated several acute infectious conditions over the years very successfully without successfully without needing to call upon antibiotics and people's health uh have far better results when using that approach when we're able to use that approach our, our ancient ancestors didn't always have this available to them this was however available homeopathy was a medicine that Hippocrates talked about um, that Samuel Hahnemann really made um, brought more attention and vitality to and people especially over in the EU they used homeopathy to treat um, some of the most intense infectious disease of the time that people totally panicked about because they didn't have any good, uh, they didn't have any knowledge about how to treat it in an effective way. And things like cholera um, and, and other infectious disease were treated very, very effectively using homeopathy. So 
to me, I feel like there's this huge gap that we're able to bridge now when it comes to our health and chronic disease prevention. When we're able to eat a truly ancestral diet, treat our acutes and other pathologies with homeopathy, um, and, and flood our bodies with sunlight when sunlight's available outside of our door. It's literally not that hard. It's not that challenging of an equation, but you know, it's more so now about gaining an awareness around, okay, what are the things that really work and support health? And then, okay, how do I do that? How do I get that into my life? How do I, how do I eat a truly ancestral diet? How do I treat, you know, my, my symptoms and my acutes in a way that doesn't suppress so that I can prevent chronic disease and actually simultaneously recover from this wicked cold or pneumonia or bronchitis or um, UTI or, um, you know, poison ivy that I have, right? So um, I wanted to mention that because it's a common question I get asked why did our ancient ancestors, you know, yeah, they didn't get chronic disease, but why didn't they live as long? And that's exactly why they didn't live as long for those, those reasons. Today, we have this expansive knowledge and, and resources to eat an ancestral diet, to treat our bodies with natural holistic medicines that don't suppress, um, that also help to bring our, our immune system out of suppression. And we are now starting to learn after again being lied to for so long about sunlight and skin cancer and and i I need to mention that in in the ancestral diet plan that i just put up on my site i talk it's, it's not just about diet because here's the other thing we're focusing on the linear aspects of diet we're counting carbs and fats and proteins and all that sort of stuff and we're making sure we get you know blue zone diet foods into the diet it's just it's it's totally in, inaccurate when it comes to making our diet decisions. Like we can't base our diet decisions based on a blue zone diet who that has sustained centenarians over in Greece for millennia when we live in Arizona or Florida or New Hampshire or New York. That diet is, worked for them because they were outside and they ate the diet that was grown in their region in the same exact sunlight that they were exposed to that also grew their foods. I talk all about this in the ancestral diet plan. So it's not just a plan that says, hey, eat this, don't eat that. It actually teaches you why um, we need to base our dietary decisions on our light environment, how you can do that, you know, and um, also how, how can you use sunlight to heal your body, to make your diet decisions, and... Um, to support your seasonal dietary decisions because we our diets no matter where we live need to vary depending on the season and so this this is a, a huge thing that I teach you about and walk you through in the ancestral diet and lifestyle plan because um, we need to be eating the foods grown in sunlight that our bodies are simultaneously uh, you know in which makes, I think for those of you who've been practicing the Sunlight RX up until this point, that your mind will be blown open when you see this connection between sunlight and diet. And it takes the Sunlight RX up 
you know, several levels. It's like, oh, so many aha moments and light bulbs go off when you uh, are able to start understanding this connection between light, sunlight, your dietary choices, and how they connect in so many ways. And one thing I talk about in, in the plan is the gut microbiome and how the gut microbiome changes depending on the light available outside your door. So most people are like, wait, uh, what? <laughs> like, wait, w- what is this about the gut microbiome and sunlight? And I have a, a, a podcast episode out, I think it was relatively recently where I talk about um, this connection between light and the gut microbiome. And so I talk about this extensively in the ancestral diet plan because you know most people are like well why Heather why do we have to make our dietary decisions based on sunlight and sunlight availability and one of the reasons is because as sunlight varies in your area meaning let's just let me give you an example in case you you have no idea what I'm talking about so let's say it's summertime and we know in the summertime it gets really hot and one of the reasons it gets really hot is because UVB light is really strong this is the light that um, when it, that light hits our skin, we are able to turn it into vitamin D. We're able to also do a lot of other things. You know, it supports your immunity. It's very cancer protective. So a lot of uh, chemicals are, are produced in the body that protect against cancer when we're exposed to UVB light. Uh, it, it also is key for our metabolic and hormone health, UVB light is absolutely vital to all steroid hormone production in the body. And most people today, if you have a chronic disease or you're susceptible to one, 100% there's hormonal insufficiencies going on. One reason is because we unseasonal diets and we don't get enough sunlight exposure in the UVB range when it is present outside of our door. So right now in the Northern Hemisphere, we have, you know, pretty much everywhere at this point in time has UVB light available. What is this? It's the end of May. Everywhere has UVB light available in the Northern Hemisphere in the United States. So what this means is that when we're outside in this light, our eyes are interacting with it, our skin's interacting with it, this changes our gut microbiome. So the gut microbiome really makes different bacteria, makes, produces different beneficial bacteria strains depending on the light that hits your eye, depending on the light that hits your skin, depending on the type of foods that you eat. So what do we know about the foods produced that nature pr- provides us with in, in the summer months? Oh, here come the fruits, here come the vegetables, you know, here come all the like juicy, watery peaches, nectarines, um, you know, cantaloupes, melons, etc. All of these type of foods that we don't have, uh, that aren't produced in the winter months. Unless you live in the tropics, right? That, that's a whole different ballgame. 
if you live in the tropics, you basically can eat a summertime diet all year round without having any issues. If you don't live in the tropics, you need a summer diet, you need a winter diet. One reason here is because of the gut microbiome and how it varies, how the bacteria in your gut varies depending on sunlight strength. So I, I talk about this a lot in the plan. It's like you have these foods, these juicy fruits and uh, vegetables that perish really easily in the summer. You know, your um, your peaches there, well, you better eat it within like five days or that thing's going to turn to mold, right? You have like all your other fruits and berries and, and vegetables like cucumbers. You have a few days to eat that before it goes like soggy, right? And so this is because the bulk of the foods fruits and vegetables primarily produced at this time contain simple sugars, simple carbohydrates. Your gut microbiome requires a different set of bacteria to be able to process the simple sugars in the foods that dominate nature during that time of year. So the gut microbiome is going to change to based on your light environment, based on the seasons, based on the foods you're eating in that season, to help your body digest, assimilate, process those foods. So this is like a survival of the fittest tactic that the body just ingeniously has built in. Different season, different sunlight strength, different food availability, what does that require? different gut microbiome bacteria to be able to absorb, assimilate, utilize, process those foods so you can stay healthy. If you can't absorb or assimilate your foods, we got real issues, you know? So in order for nature to support our, uh, the continuation of our life, what happens is the gut microbiome changes, it adapts depending on the season, the sunlight, the foods grown outside your door to be able to support your health. What happens in the winter months outside of the tropics? Well, no longer does nature provide us with all of those like juicy fruits that perish so easily. Now what do we have available to us? Oh, well, we have the foods that can store for a long time. We have the like hardy winter squashes and we have all of these foods that store really well in the um in the root cellar right we have all of these foods that store really well without perishing for months and months on end to help us make it through the winter what and and this is primarily what i'm referring to here are are the the vegetables that are present in this time. We can say a little bit to an extent apples have a much longer shelf life than say, you know, berries, fresh berries, fresh fruit, etc. So what happens? What do we do? UVB light leaves the sky. Here comes the cold winter months, right? No more fruits on the vine. But what do we have that's sitting out in our gardens that we need to go harvest to help us make it through the winter. We have a hardy winter squashes. We have foods that store really well for long periods of time that we can keep cool or keep in the root cellar, AKA today our refrigerators. And these foods have gone from, have moved from the simple sugar foods that, that filled 
um, that, that our foods consisted of in the summertime to now we have more of this complex carbohydrate um, food source going on that require a different set of bacteria to be able to absorb, assimilate, and utilize. UVB light goes away, our food choices and availability change, the, um, the, our foods change with regard to going from more simple carbohydrates to more complex carbohydrates. And um, this is absolutely huge when it comes to making dietary decisions that actually support our health. We have to more so make our dietary decisions based on what nature provides via sunlight, via what we can grow outside our door. And I'm just going to mention, this does not mean hydroponically. Hydroponics are grown under artificial light and they have no place in the diet. These foods are highly inflammatory and have a totally different impact on the body. Anything that says, you know, like hydroponically grown tomatoes, just keep it on the shelf, keep it on the farm stand, do not eat anything grown hydroponically. These foods are highly inflammatory and have really negative effects on, on the body. I, I really don't recommend them. I'm talking about natural foods grown in natural sunlight. So um, these are our core when it comes to, hey, what actually makes an, an ancestral diet ancestral? It's not just the raw milk, the grass-fed beef, the lard, <laughs> the ribeyes, you know, the wild-caught salmon. It's not just that. What makes a diet truly ancestral is all of that but also what's growing outside of your door what season is it um, and what's what kind of sunlight is available in your area if any at at this time of year this is how our ancient ancestors this is what they based their dietary decisions on out of absolute necessity and survival Today, because we have so much available to us with regard to shipping and food availability, you know, we don't even think twice that, hey, maybe I should keep the banana or the watermelon or the cucumber or the zucchini on the shelf if it's not, you know, if it's winter time. So we need to you know, retrain our ancestral muscles, so to speak. They've atrophied with, um, you know, our modern in, in inventions and our modern amenities. And while these things have served us positively in some ways, they've hurt us in many other ways. And so really an ancestral diet doesn't just consist of the food in your the food <clears throat> the linear aspects of food excuse me but it's really based on reconnecting with nature and whether you grow your own garden you shop at your farmer's market you stop shopping at your local food co-op <clears throat> these things will all help you make you know more informed decisions around your ancestral diet 
But why do we even make these decisions going back to this question? You know, before we dive into anything, we really want to say, well, why would I do that? Why? What's the point? Why would I eat an ancestral diet? And if we look at our disease epidemics today, which are absolutely through the roof, they're not going down despite the statins, despite the high blood pressure medications, despite the AFib medications, um, despite the surgeries and um, the diets, the dieting, we're not getting better. And so we really have to see, uh, you know, our chronic diseases aren't going away. They're not diminishing. Why eat an ancestral diet? Because our ancient ancestors provided us with the most accurate, clear study of all time, not funded by the NIH, thank God, (laughs) done by people, (laughs) uh, real live people who didn't even know they were under a study, and they didn't have any chronic disease. We also see this, you know, if, if you want some documentation on this, Look at the work of Weston A. Price. That's a good starting place to come to understand, wow, there really was a big difference. And this is why I choose to eat an ancestral diet. One, you know, first and foremost, there was no chronic disease then. But also, the side effects for eating an ancestral diet, a truly ancestral diet, when we make these correlations and our food choices based off of some of the things I mentioned here today, the, we're going to set ourselves up for the biggest improvements in energy levels and sleep quality um, and in the way our body actually heals and inflammation levels. We're going to set ourselves up in a position to really be able to make some of these shifts that most people have been trying to make for years and years and years using supplements and using like fad diets like ketogenic or just these linear dietary principles like make sure you're in nutritional ketosis. No, please don't. That's such a waste of time. (laughs) It's not actually going to help you move forward with your health. It's just not. If it were, I would say, I would suggest it. Anything that's going to help your health move forward, I'm all game for. And I've only seen people get more stressed out, more anxious, more strict and rigid and limited with their diet by doing things like counting calories, measuring ketones, um, and counting carbs. It's just not proven to be effective when it comes to improving health at all. But what has proven to be effective is the greatest study of all time done by our ancient ancestors who were basically free of chronic disease, degenerative disease. And now we know how to treat our acutes effectively that we can live long, healthy, chronic disease-free lives. So if you're like, okay, Heather, how do I do this? How do I get on board? How do I start eating a truly ancestral diet? Go over to my site, heathershepherd.com, H-E-A-T-H-A-R-S-H-E-P-A-R-D. Yes, it's spelled very strange. <laughs> but go over to my site, go to the courses tab, and at the very bottom, you will see uh, the ancestral diet plan. Click on that plan, and you're going to get a PDF of my ancestral diet plan and it's going to walk you through 
what an ancestral diet really is, how do you do it, what foods do you eat during the winter, what foods do you eat during the summer, how do you make your indoor light environment a healthy one so it doesn't destroy your health when you need to use indoor lighting because, you know, we talk a lot about the effects of light on health. It's absolutely huge. This is another thing that's totally left out of all the ancestral diet communities. You know, no attention to light and health. And this is absolutely at the foundation. If we want to create a solid foundation for our health, we we have to add these aspects of light and improving our light environment through sunlight, through our indoor lighting, um, into our, our daily practice. So the plan teaches you not just what to eat, how to eat it, but how to improve your sunlight environment, how to improve your indoor light environment um, so you can live a chronic disease-free life. Um, and just bonus, um, when, after you purchase the Ancestral Diet Plan, I put in a lot of like pretty pictures and, you know, <laughs> made it made it fun to read through the the uh, program. However, if you want to print the program out and you don't want the pictures, you don't want to use all that ink, you don't want to read it on your screen, send me an email after you purchase it and say, Heather, please send me the text only version. I have a text only version that I will gladly send you so you can print it out and you don't have to read it on a screen. You can highlight things and then after you highlight them all, you can send me your questions. <laughs> um, but have fun with that diet because it's a it's literally a game changer when it comes to supporting your health, making your dietary decisions. It'll completely, you know, there's so much confusion out there today. What do I eat? When do I eat it? How do I know if it's good or not? This person says it's good. This No, the plan will help you completely dissolve any of the dietary decision-making and make that process much more easeful for you when you, um, you know, read over the plan. It'll, it, it's a foolproof way of saying, hey, oh no, this diet's full of BS. Oh no, this one's actually, this is actually a healthy choice for me. So that's also provided in, in the plan as well and a lot more. So um, I hope you enjoy that. That has been um, in the works for the past decade and um, I'm so glad to, to finally um, been able to offer it to, to you all at this time. And I think you should really experience some serious uh, health breakthroughs and, and support on your way to optimal health by following that plan. It's really nature designed that plan. I can't say I made it up. Honestly, this is me <laughs> uh, basically... Uh, interpreting nature putting it on paper for you all and 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 so um it's it's really a game changer i hope you enjoy it okay see you next time healing root causes of our health struggles and preventing chronic disease entails two basic practices one learning how to eat a truly ancestral diet and two learning how to improve your light environment if you're looking to support your health in optimal ways, in ways that get to the heart of your health struggles, I invite you to head over to my site, heathershepherd.com, and pick up your copy of my ancestral diet and lifestyle plan. This plan 
is no joke. It's, it's no messing around here. It includes 50 plus PDF slides that walk you through how to use diet and light to support your health. This plan is going to walk you through many things, some of them including how to individuate your diet, why aligning your diet with the seasons is key to decreasing inflammation, food sensitivities, and histamine response, and how to do so, the importance of meal timing and how to incorporate meal timing practices into your daily diet. It provides you with a winter and summer diet and dietary guidelines and meal examples, including breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner meal examples according to the season, just like our ancient ancestors based their food decisions off of. I teach you how to use sunlight to help improve your health and healing outcomes. I teach you why and how indoor lighting destroys health and what you can do about it. I also provide some of my favorite food grade supplement suggestions and also supplements to avoid. So many people have a laundry list of supplements today that actually are detrimental to health. I talk all about this on the plan as well. At the end of the program, there's a full resource list of my favorite ancestral health resources that you can access to help support your health. Also, I can't not talk about water, right? I talk about healthy drinking water. What water filter should you use on your bath and on your shower to help you stay healthy? I talk all about this and provide all the resources for this in the Ancestral Diet and Lifestyle Plan. To get your copy of this plan and start really supporting your health, creating this solid foundation for your health, go over to my site, heathershepard.com, H-E-A-T-H-A-R-S-H-E-P-A-R-D.com. Go to the Courses tab, go down to the Ancestral Diet Plan, and get your copy today to start preventing chronic disease that is proven, using a plan that is proven to prevent chronic disease for generations. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. To learn more about my approach to health, to see all of my creations in the kitchen and all of my Sunlight RX tips, you can follow me on the gram at sunlight underscore RX and subscribe to this podcast to access weekly episodes.